Chapter 15 of The Spanish Cavalier by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Chapter 15 Confession. There are those who have asserted that the doctrine of justification by faith will lead to neglect of good works, that he who believes that Christ has done all will be content himself to do nothing. How false is the assertion has been constantly proved by the lives of those who have most simply and unreservedly thrown themselves on the free mercy of him who died for sinners. Love for the Saviour and indulgence of willful sin can no more exist together than fire and water unite. Where the heavenly guest enters, a halo of light shines around him which reveals impurities which have hitherto, perhaps altogether, escaped the notice of conscience. Wheresoever the Saviour goes, holiness is the print left by his footsteps. Thus was it with Alcala. Having received the gospel with joy, he intuitively began to consider what return of grateful obedience he could make for unmerited mercy. Having cheerfully resolved to run the race set before him, he felt that he must speed toward his glorious goal disencumbered of the weight of the sin which most easily beset him. Alcala had little difficulty in discovering what that sin was. Turning from contemplation of Christian doctrine to that of Christian duties, the Spaniard was struck by the very first sentence uttered by divine lips in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Alcala paused long with his finger on that verse. He was a Spaniard, and a Spaniard of noble birth. He had been, as it were, cradled in pride, taught to regard pride, as a lofty virtue, was it needful, and even if needful, was it possible to overcome what seemed woven into his very nature? Could the high-spirited cavalier ever become the meek and lowly believer? Alcala felt that in the struggle against pride in its various forms, he was now entering his spiritual plaza de toros, that his own strength was a weakness compared with that of the mighty enemy before him. He must ask for strength greater than his own. He must seek for the aid of that Holy Spirit who could enable him to overthrow and trample even upon pride. Alcala reflected deeply on the numerous passages in Scripture, which represent humility as essential to the character of a believer. It was difficult indeed to throw aside prejudices that had become as a part of himself, to recognize the truth that nothing is really degrading but sin, that the highest and noblest have nothing whereof to boast. Alcala's reflections, however, brought him to a conviction which is what simply and beautifully expressed by a believer, whose life proved that she spoke from the heart. What is the position of a Christian? wash the disciples' feet, to sit at the Saviour's feet. This is the position of a Christian. I shall bear on my person to the end of my days a scar to remind me that God abhors pride, said Alcala, and the lesson will be enforced by new privation, in which, alas, my family must share. Who has more reason than I to know that pride is a fiend, who, under the name of high spirit, lures us on to destruction? But for unmerited grace, I should have sacrificed to him both body and soul. His voice was more strong in this guilty heart than the appeals of reason, conscience, and affection. I preferred dying like a madman to owning that I had boasted like a fool. Alcala was thus pondering over the subject when his sister entered his apartment, knelt by his side, and timidly took his hand in her own. Something has grieved my sweet one, said Alcala, reading trouble in the face of his sister. Alcala, I must hide nothing from you, murmured Inez with the meekness of a child confessing a fault. I fear that I may have done wrong, but you will judge when you know the whole truth. Donna Maria was here yesterday evening when the English Senor was with you. I could not help speaking to her of my troubles. I could not help telling her of our, our difficulties, continued Inez, drooping her head. I thought that she had the means to help us, and we are so poor, Alcala. Poverty is no disgrace, my Inez, said Alcala. Except, she added gravely, poverty brought on by such an act of criminal folly and pride as that which has laid me here. I told our mother's friend that I had parted with all, everything that could be turned into money, even your guitar, Alcala, continued Inez with a sigh. What, child, replied Donna Maria, even with King Philip's reliquary, which holds the hair of Santa Veronica, 
the heirloom of which your family is so proud? I would give you twenty dollars for that. A liberal offer, cried Alcala with irony. Our fathers would not have sold the relic for twenty thousand. The cavalier felt that the little hand which he held was trembling and reproached himself for the unguarded exclamation. See, let the senora have the reliquary, he said, kindly sparing the poor girl the pain of continuing her story. Did I do very wrong, murmured Inez? Must I tell Father Benefacio, when next I go to confession, that I have sold Santa Veronica's hair? No, you did right, replied Alcala, and he added cheerfully, One verse from the Bible is worth more than all the relics in the Cathedral of Seville, and as for confession, I would fain that you, like myself, should resolve never again to confess to a Romish priest. Renegade! Infidel! Apostate! exclaimed a furious voice. Inez started in terror to her feet. Bonifacio stood in the doorway, raised arm and clenched hand, as if he were launching a thunderbolt of vengeance into the devoted head of her brother. Teresa, horror-struck, stood behind the priest, whom she had been on the point of ushering into the apartment, when he had paused upon the threshold to hear Alcala's concluding sentence. "'Wretch! Abandoned by heaven! Lost to every sentiment of religion!' continued the furious ecclesiastic. "'Think not that you can with impunity defy the power of the church. We have a pious queen who has faithful counsellors, and her confessor Claret, and the saintly Petrosiano. The arm of the law is yet mighty enough to strike, to crush the apostates who renounce their holy faith to join the enemies of all true religion. And after a gesture expressing that he shook from his sandal feet the polluted dust of the heretic's dwelling, Bonifacio turned his back on Alcala and strode rapidly through the long corridor, followed to the entrance by Teresa, who was wringing her hands. Oh, Alcala, all is lost, exclaimed Inez. Fear nothing, beloved, said Alcala, with the serene composure which astonished his sister. Mere words have no power to hurt. The Bonifacio may have the spirit of old Torquemada. These are not days when men can be sent to the stake for confessing the truth. But there may be persecution, sharp, dreadful persecution, faltered Inez. If so, my God will enable me to bear it, said Alcala, with the countenance that brightened at the thought of enduring suffering and shame for the sake of his Lord. Inez, my heart's sister, be not troubled. Think not of what your brother has lost, but what he has found, and Alcala laid his hand on the sacred volume. If you knew more of the contents of this book, you would fear no longer what man can do unto those who have grasped the hope of eternal life. But you shall know more of it, Inez. This evening you and our servants shall hear me read the words of truth. My wound is almost healed, my strength is gradually returning, and I would fain devote that strength to the service of my heavenly master. It is meet that my first audience should be those who form our own household. Lepine would have explained evangelical doctrines better than I can, to whom they are as a new revelation. And I regret not that he is absent at Madrid, since, if the rumor of even so small a meeting were noised abroad, it might bring my friend into trouble. If Teresa and Chico come to my room after sunset, would that our dear grandmother's mind had power to receive the glad tidings of free salvation. Insolent as Teresa often showed herself to her gentle mistress, the old retainer stood in awe of her master, and though she might murmur to herself at his commands, she never dared openly dispute them. Both she and Chico were therefore present at the first meeting for Bible reading and family worship ever held in the stately old mansion. Alcala, who for the first time since his illness had quitted his couch, sat propped up with cushions. He looked pale and fragile, but serenely happy, as he read aloud a portion from one of the Gospels. The portion was necessarily short, for the reader was still very weak. Smalls was the audience, for no stranger was present, and yet presented a variety of hearers. Inez, with her hands clasped and her soft eyes fixed on the reader, listened to the words of Holy Burt with reverential attention. Teresa, with scarcely concealed repugnance, Chico could hardly be said to listen at all. The uncouth attendant's thoughts were distracted by the strange novelty of his being permitted, nay, ordered to be seated in the presence of the caballero, Don Alcala de Aguilera, a novelty which disgusted Teresa more than anything else in the service. 
A low fellow like that to be treated as if his wretched soul were worth as much as that of a grandee of Spain, thought Teresa. My master's illness must have affected his brain, for he would sooner have made a footstool of Chago than have bidden him sit down in his presence. To her mind, such an extraordinary breach of etiquette on the part of the Hidalgo of Andalusia was much more strange and unaccountable than his late exposure of his life to satisfy a wild notion of honour. Alcala was thankful that he had been strengthened to take the first decided step in the course of service which he hoped through life to pursue. He closed his Bible reading with a brief extempore prayer, of which the fervour touched the spirit of Inez, and humility astonished that of Teresa. What cavalier had ever before prayed so earnestly to be delivered from the power of pride? With gloomy forebodings, the duenna retired from Alcala's apartment after family worship was ended. Often during the following night, as she uneasily turned on her pallet bed, Teresa moaned to complain that times were evil indeed, when noble pride could be deemed a sin and heir of the honours of the Aguileras. Happy were the slumbers of Alcala. He dreamed that night he was again mounted on his sleeve in the Plaza de Toros, in the centre of the circus, and surrounded by gazing thousands. But when the door of the circus was flung open by the black-robed Aguazil to whom that service belongs, it was no fierce animal that rushed forth to encounter the point of Alcala's lance. There came into the arena a procession of priests, monks, and devotees, bearing aloft graven images of saints and swinging censers and incense as they slowly approached him. Then, in his dream, Alcala glanced around, and, lo, instead of the usual spectators who were wont to throng the seats in the Calacera de Seville, the places were filled by thousands of martyrs who, in that city, had passed through the ordeal of fire. They wore no longer the yellow sanbenitos, the garb of shame, robes compared to whose whiteness dim were the diamonds and dark the four new-fallen snow. The martyrs were a cloud of witnesses, a cloud sparking in the light of the countenance of him for whom they had suffered, a cloud reflecting his ineffable glory. When the hour of persecution and trial arrived, Alcala drew courage and hope from the reflection of that glorious dream. End of chapter 15 Recording by Esther Simonides